Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. My name is Dave Burrows and I'm the director and owner of Snowbro Ski School based here in Valdilier in Switzerland. Hope you're all well and uh, those of you that are out teaching are having a good time of it. Um, you join me here, I'm recording this on the 18th of January. Um, we're enjoying an absolutely glorious period of like high pressure weather here um, in the Swiss Alps and low temperatures. So um i think it was well yeah start of december we had we had absolutely like just bucket loads of snow and um that was then followed by there was a little rainy spell and and um and some and some further snow and uh and all of that stayed so um the snow is sort of it's cold enough that the snow is sort of deep in the valley here in valdilier um the conditions are absolutely fabulous like they really are um on the piece and it's and it's perfect for teaching you know sun's out people are happy and um yeah everyone's having a great time um our colleagues in france didn't have such a, a great time in terms of uk tourists because there was some sort of political dispute between um between uh, the uk and france which meant that we had extraordinary number of people that had taken their their holiday to france and then um had to move it last minute to switzerland so we skied we were extremely extremely busy over the uh christmas new year period with that kind of thing but i think that's been lifted now and and hopefully all of our colleagues in france can really profit from uh from from you know additional tourists that are going to come into them during the february and easter breaks so that's great um yeah, and uh, and then this week, well, episode forty-two, um, I'm bringing you a interview with Colin Martin of Solutions for Feet. Um, Solutions for Feet is a um, it's a ski boot uh, specialist shop in the UK, uh, located in Bicester. I've known Colin for a long, long time, and he's helped me out with my um, with my boots. and And I wanted for a long time to do kind of a special on kind of boots boot fitting um and so that's what 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 this one is going to be um we cover in part one we talk a little bit about um colin's backstory we talk about boats we talk about boots and um i really hope that you enjoy the first half of this uh podcast and uh, i'll find you somewhere in the middle Welcome to the Ski Instructor Podcast. Colin Martin, how are you? I'm good, Dave. Thanks very much for having me on. Excellent. Excellent. Um, let me first... Let's let's first talk about this because we had a bit in the preamble. You went to the boat show yesterday. I did go to the boat show. <laughs> I kept my wallet kind of in the pocket. Yeah. I, although I sold the boat last week, so I'm looking at another one at the moment. So the, the two happiest days in the boat owner's life is the day you buy a boat and the day you sell the boat. It's funny you should say this because I go down. So I live here not far proximity to uh, Laclamar, Lake Geneva, depending on what you call it, um, about 30 minutes. And every summer, I normally hire a little, um, what do they call it, bateau, uh, bateau sans permis, a little five horsepower thing you can get out on the lake on. And every time I'm out there, I think, yeah, I'm going to do my qualification and get myself a big powerboat and hack around the lake. It's going to be really cool. And, and then, you... then reality kicks in and your budget kicks in oh, and you figure that that is even part of the running ski school. It's extraordinary. Like, it, you know, as money, as money sinks goes, boats are even worse than ski schools. It's absolutely, absolutely. crazy. 
Well, but really stands. It's a, it is an acronym for break out another thousand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, uh, the, so there's a limit. Obviously, we're on a lake, right? Or oh, there's a lake here. So um, there's a limited number of mooring places available. Uh, they cost a fortune. They don't come up very often. And the boats themselves, I thought to myself, oh, it'd be nice. I'll have a look at the price of boats. Just to have a, just a look. Just a look. And I found one I liked and I thought, yeah, that's cool. It's got a bed in it. I could sleep on it. I could go to the lake some nights and kind of hang out there and whatever. 60 grand for like a 20-year-old boat. And I'm like, what? That's a cheap one. That's a cheap one. <laughs> it's bananas. So I've kind of put that on the back burner. And uh, maybe I heard that you can get, uh, you can without a permit, you can go to the Italian lakes and you can get like a 40 horsepower boat. And so I might just go and do that and get that out of my system. And then, you know. <laughs> oh, you, you, should, you should come and play it on my old one. It was a five litre V8 in the back of it. So oh, it went quick. Where do you do that? Where, where, where do you go boating? Where do you do? Because you're in. On the sea, at a pool. Okay. Over the south coast. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful place. I used to, um, I used to go, I used to go sailing out in the Solent and down that way. Um, a friend of mine, Chico, his dad used to have a boat, and um, yeah, like he, we used to race and all that sort of stuff. We used to do holidays up in the thing, but that all sort of, I don't know, died a death, but um, yeah, it was they were good times, you know. I like being out on the water, it's nice. It's always good to have a friend who has a boat. Yeah, that's the that's the key. Is so you don't actually pay for it yourself. Absolutely, the key is not owning. That's some consumer advice for our listeners. There, do not own boats. Well, I could say a very I could say a very naughty word and rhyme about that, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to keep it clean. I was thinking the same one, and I thought, no, you can't really say that. Can't really say that. <laughs> so you are the big boss man at uh, Solutions for Feet, but before we get talking about that and ski boots because I've really wanted to have a long you know, conversation you've been on my list for a long time and um, I want to have a long conversation with you about boots and kind of really pick your brains about what we should all be looking for and that kind of thing um, but let, tell me about how you got into this business in the first place what 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 drew you what, to my mistake well okay <laughs> what drew you to feet <laughs> so I my when I was at school when uh, my strategy job was working in the workshop at the dry ski slope in Glasgow, Glasgow Ski Centre, mm-hmm. and then I was offered a position in Neb Sport, big ski shop in Glasgow. And that was uh, just Saturdays and odds and sods here and there. And I'm actually a carpenter by trade. Oh. And 1991, there was a massive crash in the building industry in Scotland. Okay. The carpentry company I worked for went bankrupt. Uh, we all got told one Friday afternoon, "You're unemployed." Nice. Uh, so I had to think about what to do and. I guess skiing was the one other thing I used to be involved with, so I went to work full-time for the dry ski slope for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then I came down south and was on the team that opened Snowdome in Tamworth. So I was the very first indoor ski slope. Right. And running, basically for there, running the boot fitting, the workshop, the ski rental uh, for Snowdome, which was fantastic until they sold the shop. And my job changed to basically being... And writing rotos for the ski rental and being a nightclub doorman because they didn't have enough duty managers that were male yeah. to lock up at two o'clock in the morning. Okay. So there was no boot fitting then. The boot fitting bit obviously had gone with the shop. So I moved on, did nine years with Lockwoods and Leamington Spa. Okay. And during that time, I went to the US and studied pedorphics and got my board certification in 2002. 
And 2005, I left there and started Solutions for Feet. Wow. Were you always in this journey? Yeah, it has been a journey. Tell me about that um, that American trip to go and get qualified. Where was that? And, and it's quite a big trip so to go I and do. Spent that. the summer of two thousand and two, so about I was thirty eight days uh, in the most horrific hotel room in the world Ooh. in New York City. Okay. Somebody, was, somebody else was paying for, so it had to be the cheapest hotel room available. <laughs> that can't have been very nice at all. It wasn't pleasant. It was it was ninety nine degrees and ninety eight percent humidity. Oh. <laughs> uh, thankfully, this little this little hotel room with its single bed, its basin, and its little fourteen inch TV in the corner had an air conditioning unit which worked. Oh well. <laughs> but uh, I spent time there studying at the New York uh, College of Podiatric Medicine and the Innislow Pedorfic Institute and Langer Biomechanics. Wow. Basically, learning all about the biomechanics of feet and uh, pathology of disease and how to make orthotics. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, and uh, and so then you came back then with a whole bunch of information. Did you know, was that also to do with how that related to ski boots or was that something that you've added on later on? There were, this, obviously, I was fitting, fitting ski boots prior to it and the reason for doing that qualification was I wanted more knowledge about the biomechanics side so that I could I, I could basically apply it to yeah. more in the boot fitting. Okay. Because you curate this, I'm a, I'm a member of it and it's fascinating, but you curate this little Facebook group uh, called, uh, what's it called? Boot Fitters something, something, something. I can't remember exactly what it is. And it, to me, it's fascinating seeing some of the, the solutions that, that the boot fitters around the world are coming up with for people with all sorts of uh, odd feet um, it's, it's incredible some of the hacks that they're doing oh absolutely I mean there's some crazy stuff we get up to you know everybody's constantly trying to innovate tools in our industry are incredibly expensive because they, they're essentially not one-offs but they sell so few of them mm. that people are we're constantly making our own tools trying to find a way of doing something so a classic example is that I want to stretch the instep of a boot up the way I can do that using a little inflatable lifting bag, something called a wind bag, which joiners and carpenters use for, for jamming door frames in place, or you use for picking up your washing machine to adjust the feet, yeah. and a lacrosse ball. <laughs> so for, I, can, I can make the tool for this that, to, that stretches that particular part of the boot for about 15 pounds. And presumably you're, you're hunting around for solutions like that all the oh, time, absolutely. aren't you? All the time. So you'll see something in another industry. So you must be looking at all sorts of weird and wonderful other places other than just skiing. Oh, absolutely. You have to. I mean, you have to look outside the ski industry, outside the box. Anything that's got ski written on it, it's like boat. Anything with ski or boat or marine written on it, the, the price goes up. <laughs> yeah. Motorbikes. So I, 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 look, I look at yeah. uh, what's, the, what's the joinery solution or the engineering solution or... Uh, you know, where can, where can I buy that that will do this job? You know, we, we make a lot of bits and pieces. Some of it is, some of it works, some of it doesn't. You throw it in the bin, but that's yeah, just about the innovation, trying finding things that work. And and so you came back from that course and started straight up the business. And did, I mean, did you have an existing kind of client base, or you just went for it? Like what was I? I, started, I stayed part of my contract with doing the course because it was partially paid for by Lockwoods. Right. 
So I had to stay there for two years. I actually stayed three. Mm-hmm. And then when I left in 2005, we've been planning for a little while. And the business, I started the business without selling, physically selling ski boots. Okay. We sold some running shoes. We sold insoles. We sold ski socks and running socks. And we worked on boots that people brought to us. Okay, I understand. And when our customers wanted to buy a boot, then we took them. We used to have a little ski shop in Bister called Beans of Bister. Right. And we used to take them along there. And Chris, the owned the shop, would let me go in. I'd, sit, I'd basically fit the boot or start fitting the boot in the store. Yeah. He would sell them the boot and then he would pay me a, a little bit of money for selling the boot for him. Okay. So I'd get a small commission from him, then I would, I would be charging for the insole in the fitting time. Yeah. Wow. And then a couple of years later, a couple of years later, we then went into a small range of ski boots. And our original, I always remember our first year's ski boot spend yeah. was twelve models of boots, and our total spend was about eleven thousand pounds. Wow. I suppose that's changed a little bit now. A pre-COVID, an unusual year, we were spending over two hundred thousand. Wow, that's a lot of boots. It's a lot of boots. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes so, you make good decisions and sometimes you make bad ones it, well yeah I hear that the, um, isn't, isn't the thing though I guess when you're working is, is it a little bit oh, this, is a, this is a bit of a stretch but is it a bit like working in the pub trade where you work with you know you have free houses where you can have loads of different types of beers and then you have places that are kind of linked to a certain type of beer and you can only sell those once. Does it work the same in the in the boot industry? Not really. There, it's changed over the years. Years ago, you used to have co- uh, dealer contracts with some brands and you might get another shop would, uh, would try and say, oh, no, no, I don't want you to supply them. I've, or- I've ordered 150 pairs of these boots. Yeah. So if you supply them, I'm cancelling my order. Don't give them any stock. Uh-huh. And that's all changed now. Now there is generally no limit to what you can sell. It's, it's a free market. You know, yeah. you basically you go with your checkbook and buy what you want to buy, assuming the dealer has got or the, the supplier will supply you. You've got credit, you know, credit with with them or whatever. Yeah. Okay. But there's no restriction. We don't have any brand restrictions. There's yeah. You know, every year we look at it and go right. Do we bring a new brand in? Do we get rid of one? And we look at how the the market's going and is there something that we really need to have in the store and something we really need rid of yeah presumably it's all too easy to keep buying keep buying we have 60 plus models in the store wow and it's all too easy to make I can make that 75 models very very easily yeah what I really need to do is bring it back to about 45 yeah 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 but with that, presumably though, with that, you've also got to stock various sizes this must be really really oh, tough yes. to do isn't it because you've got to have You've got to be able to cover anyone who comes into the shop. Yeah, so you've got different. You've got different. First of all, you've got sizes. Yeah. Ten sizes in the run. Yeah. Second, you've got flexes. So are they a, a lightweight beginner or a heavyweight beginner or an instructor or a racer or a coach or athlete or whatever? Yeah. And then you've got foot shapes. Uh huh. Then you've got. The, uh, oh, I really want blue boots, or I really want red boots. Uh, yeah. The kind of people you have to slap occasionally and just give them a little bit of a pep talk. <laughs> it doesn't matter my outfit. There's all those variables. If it was as simple as we sell big T-shirts and small, medium, large, and extra large, it would be so simple. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you've got size, flex, shape, width. So not even though you've got the same, you, know, you have three different, four different boots with a 98 millimeter glass and narrow fit. And all four of them will fit very differently. 
because of the toolbox shape or the instep height or the heel width. Wow. There's so many variables. So presumably, yeah, you must have a little list like I do. I'm, 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 tell me if I'm wrong, but presumably, or maybe it's in your head after so many years of experience, but you must, I create a little list. So my list in front of me already is things to put in place for season 22, 23, which is things that are working this year that I need to remember to do again next year which presumably for you will be right this year we didn't sell that many 24 mondo in a head whatever therefore let's not order them next year we need to order exactly you know that kind so of we, we look at our buying we look at our buying trends or what the sales trends are and you try and you have a, you have a size curve obviously and what we see is we see an awful lot of people with narrow feet oh yeah now i don't know if it's just People are having narrower feet, or ski boots are becoming more accommodative. Mm-hmm. But what we see every time we have skinny foot day, and it's like, oh right, another skinny boot, another skinny boot. So oh, inevitably, yeah. you end up with some wider foot boots sat on the shelf, and you go, okay, I better not buy so many wide foot boots next year. Ah. And if we do that, you know what happens next year, don't you? Yeah, All loads of people, loads of wide foot. <laughs> so it, it's a really, really difficult balance. You just gotta. Put your finger in the air, go on what you did last year. And obviously with COVID, last year has really been written off. Yeah. Well, presumably because you've got a bunch of stock from last year sitting there. Well, we have a bunch of stock. Well, it just it affected what was selling, when was selling. So over last year, we took, unlike a lot of shops, we took our, our deliveries, our first deliveries, because we always take them early. Our illustrious leader in Downing Street told us that there wouldn't be another lockdown after we opened in July. Yeah. So we took a load of stock in, we started selling some ski boots, and it was all going really well, and then they shut us down in October. Yeah. And then they let us open again, and it's sort of, uh, people were looking at travel, and was it going to happen, so they were a little nervous about buying, Mm. and then they shut us all down again in December. Yeah. So the ski industry, in terms of retail, got hit not only by retail closures, but by travel restrictions. So people, people, even even if the shop was open, people weren't coming into the shop because they couldn't travel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course. So it's double whammy on that front. Yeah, we've got. I was just telling you earlier that we've got a few brave souls that have that have booked. You know, from from the UK, Ireland, and various other places that, that have booked. You know, we're we're actually booked out for Christmas right now already with tourists. Fantastic. Yeah, which is great. Um, and I sincerely hope that there aren't any barriers in their way for them to come you know they've made travel possible this summer and um i just think well i think people are sick sick to death of this whole thing and they just want to want to get on with what you know their lives if it means that they have to jump through a few hoops to travel then so be it but they want to travel there's a demand there you know you can see it oh absolutely you see we're we're seeing bookings are definitely increasing Mm. uh i we're still we're still not where we should be Mm. But I don't think if, if if any shop can can honestly say, oh yeah, we're selling as much or more than we should be selling at this time of the year right now, then they're either weren't selling very much or they're deluded and telling lies. Mm. 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 No, absolutely. Let's talk about that. Just this is a, a bit of a tangent to something I was going to talk about later, but it seems relevant to talk about it now. I was in a shop um, in Morjan uh, the other day. Hi, Domi, if you're listening, he was very kindly just adjusting a set of skis for me. And um, he was telling me about this summer 
and inventory issues that they were having at that shop. And this, a few people have talked, I haven't seen it in my life day to day, like going about the world, but the, he was telling me that at the start of the summer, so last winter, they ordered 90, I don't know, mountain bikes, right? Uh, of, of different types. And he said that they'd only had, up to this point, we're in September now, bear in mind, they'd only had delivery of 50 of them and some of them are coming in missing parts. He said he can't find chains for love nor money. He can't find tires for love nor money. And um, it's, it, it, apparently well, there's some sort of worldwide shortage of industry. There is. Uh, there is a, I think, you know, the, the conspiracy theorists out there will probably say it's China doing a reset. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if it's China doing a reset or just with the disruption of COVID. We're not seeing reported all over the world what is happening all over the world. You know, we get the the, the, the news channels pick on the bits they want you to hear or uh, they want to promote. And as we know, some news channels are a little bit more biased than others. Want to yeah. want to make out that it's the world's biggest disaster, and some will tell you there's nothing there's nothing more than the cold. <laughs> but the there is definitely I I've heard from friends that run bike shops over here. Yeah, you know, Shimano, you can't buy a, a Shimano chain set for yeah. a lot of their money. No. No, he's saying the same yeah, thing. We've already seen ski boot orders for this year. I've got liners on order from one company where the liners were due for delivery in September. So it's a new foam injection liner. Yeah. They were due for delivery in August, sorry, 16th of August. They're currently looking at the 18th of November. And what I've been told is don't expect it to get any sooner. It might go worse. Wow. And this is all due to factories on short working time, materials not being available, materials not being delivered because of shipping issues. Yeah. Containers are in the wrong place, so shipping issues are causing that. Yeah. I'm seeing touring boots because the only thing that really sold last year was ski touring boots because yeah. in most countries the only thing you could do was walk up the hill. Yeah. So if you want a pair of ski touring boots, we've had our stock, most of our stock delivered, and I'm sitting waiting on a small order I did from one brand from one model of boot which I was running low on yeah. and I'm now being told that the earliest these will be December yeah. and some of their touring skis that were ordered by shops for delivery now are not going to be with the shops until January or February Crikey That's so good right because your sales season is now there. I think it's all down the chain Yeah but sales season for you is now right it's no good having stock arrive in January well, well, we, for, for us in the UK, we, we start, we're a little different from most stores because of how we work. Mm. But we, what happens with us is we get most of our clients come early. Okay. Uh, whereas most shops, it's probably, uh, they start to kick off end of October, start of November, ski season's coming. We normally start to get busy from August mm-hmm. uh, because we have all the ski instructors and the coaches and the athletes coming in over the summer, being yes. prepared. Yes. We've had... Notoriously, we have uh, a section of the the season at the end of the, the previous season where we've run out of something, and we'll tell the client this: the boots are due with us in July or August. Mm-hmm. So we get this early surge as well. Okay. Of the people we couldn't service last year. And so it's not just me that's thinking about and tinkering with boots in August. Then no, there are, there are many other people just like me. There are there are many people just like you. Some of them. It's quite interesting. Previously, it would always be what I would call the, the enthusiasts. So, mm. the either the professionals or the enthusiasts. The enthusiasts are the people that do five weeks of skiing or more a year. Yeah. So, notoriously, these people come in and spend a lot of money. Yeah. And they come in and they spend a lot of money early. Mm-hmm. But 
That's who we would normally see at this time of year, but we're seeing some of them. And we're seeing some more, oh, I've been locked down for two years. I haven't had any holidays. I want to buy some kit. I want to buy something yeah. in the hope that you know, I'm going to go to Hemel or Milton Keynes, the, the, the snow dome. Yeah. I'm going to get my ski holiday. How it happens, when it happens, and yeah. how we make it happen doesn't really matter at the moment. I want some ski boots. Well, the, the, the life experience of a lot of people has been very, very miserable, hasn't it, for the last two years? And, and, and to take yourself to the... You know, take yourself to a specialist and treat yourself to having perfectly fitted boots is, is a real treat for some people. So, you know, why wouldn't you? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit like it's a bit like going and having that nice haircut, having your hair and makeup done for the girls. You know, it's, yeah, like, yeah. it's a treat. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's yeah, it's a, you don't spend you don't spend on a pair of ski boots every year unless you're unless you're absolutely destroying them being an athlete or mm. an instructor that's destroying their kit. So most people is every every few years. Mm. So they haven't had the holiday. Why not spend the cash on some kit? I'm about to go into season three with uh, with a pair of boots that seem to fit me reasonably well. I would I normally change them every two years, but I just can't be can't be bothered this year to go through all that song and dance of going and getting them fitted again and breaking in another pair. So I'm going to have a year of soft, comfy slipper boots. But I did I did change the <laughs> liner. More than they should be. Yeah, I changed the liner. I think the shell will last one more season. But the, shell, the shell, most shells will do. You know, three seasons solid, no problem. It's the liner that packs down and dies yeah, very yeah. quickly. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've just changed it because I had a, I had a spare. What was it? Oh can't remember i had a spare liner kicking around that i didn't get on with before but i think i've i've modified the tongue so i took the tongue out of a zip fit put it in this other one what was it i can't remember now um it was it was on my facebook post and the uh and and so maybe that's going to work i need to take it to sass and see if it's comfortable or not but it's um i've been a big fan of the zip fit for for a very very long time but i've oh, great, great liners yeah they are but i, t- I got I got told last time because you referred me to um, I'm not going to say his name on here because he's a secret I don't want loads of people to use him um, he's my secret but the guy who's near Geneva and um, ah, yes, yes. yeah yeah that man that man um, and he he said to me that the guy who was running ZipFit wasn't very well or something like he was he was having some issues uh, with, I don't know whether he's recovered so or what, Zip, ZipFit's changed quite considerably over the past the past 18 months or so right I, Sven Coomer is the guy that invented it and Sven's in his 80s now mm. he's still doing little tweaks and little bits and pieces but what's happened is his wife's grandson has taken over the running of the business Okay. I, so unfortunately zip fit prices did go up a little bit because they realised they weren't making any money we were making all the money and they were making any not that we were making much Yeah. but they, uh, they basically they changed the pricing they changed the way business is done and they're now actually starting to promote the product a little bit more. You're actually seeing it fit all over social media. Yeah. The liners are still the same liners that they were have been for years. There are new, there's a new race liner that's about the Corsa, which is super skinny fit, leather lined, beautiful piece of uh, of construction, mm-hmm. which goes inside your, your proper 93, 95, 92 mil race boots. Yeah. Super skinny stuff. Yeah. So they designed the liner for that, and they have a touring lining a liner in the development at the moment. Oh, cool! Proper, wow! A hinged, so actual articulated rear touring yeah. liner, which is something that people have been screaming out for for years. Oh, good for them! That's terrific. Well, I'm glad to hear that because uh, it was um, it was worrying me that Zipfit would die, but apparently it's not going to. So no, it will it will not die. Excellent. Yeah, it's yeah. Gen- generations are moving the evolution onwards. Oh, I'm pleased to hear that. I'm really, really pleased to hear that. Um, 
You did, uh, you did, we should talk about, I know this is the ski instructor podcast, you're a boot specialist, but you did do some instructing stuff back in the day. Um, <laughs> it was a long day ago. Yeah, yeah, it was a long day ago. <laughs> um, what, did you do any teaching with those qualifications or did you do them just to see what it was all about? I, no, I, I did a little bit of teaching on the dry slope, I saw in, I think, 1988, 89, somewhere about then, I, uh, I did my ASSI at Hill End. Okay. And uh, then worked at the Dry Ski Slope, worked at the Bellows at Glasgow Ski Centre, just teaching teaching beginners and intermediate skiers on the plastic. Mm-hmm. The odd day up in Cairn Gorman, Nevis Range. Okay. Did you? And then when I when I moved south in 1994 to Snowdome, uh, I just at that point said, you know what, I'm not doing this for I'm not doing this to teach anymore. I'm doing this for me. Okay. I want to enjoy my skiing. Yeah. Well, that's all right. It's not for everyone, right? No, absolutely. And it's you know, I enjoyed doing what I did on the plastic, getting people skiing, and back in those days we actually, before, before Snowdome, I think it was the, uh, the Snowdomes, uh, the dry ski slopes used to pay really good money for ski instructors. Hmm. And yeah, we used to have a structured system where if you were an ASSI, you got one right. If you were going back the old school way, you know, grade three trainee got one right, and then a grade three got another 50p an hour or whatever, and it built up to... You know, somebody that was a trainer or old grade one was getting a substantial sum of money for the early nineties. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, when I when I came down here, I I was still involved. I don't, I wouldn't call it teaching, but coaching with uh, England Alpine team with Mike Barker and uh, those guys, basically working with the athletes. So not teaching as such, not coaching even as such, but athlete setup, equipment setup. Hmm. Uh, quite important to have some level of qualification that you can do that from. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully we'll come to that slightly later on because I really want to talk about that that sort of setup thing. Um, I just I'm curious just to ask you like the early days of the the business. So you were you know working with another shop and then eventually you kind of started buying in stuff from your own. Like what were those? Were you always in the same place? So were you always in business? We, we were in the same location but in a different store. So basically we had a smaller unit. So the first, the first, uh, we started the first three years. We had a really small unit. Then we took on a second unit behind that, mm-hmm. knocked a hole in the wall. Spoke to the landlord. He was a little nervous about it initially, but mm-hmm. eventually went, yeah, okay, we can do that. And then about eight and a bit years ago, we moved into our current location, which is fifty feet from where the first one was, yeah. just the opposite side of the courtyard. Okay. It's like moving house. It doesn't matter if you move in half a mile or 500 miles. It's the same hassle. You've still got to pack everything up and move it. And you still got to go into the back of the shop and think, why did I keep this? My goodness, what is yeah, this? That's exa- that is exactly what happens. You go to the back and you go, okay. Yeah. So first lockdown, we actually filled a 10-yard skip of stuff that we have kept. Oh, yeah, that we do not need anymore. You yes, must you must have really found some really cool need. stuff. The baseboard from a fifteen-year-old ski boot that isn't made anymore and is not breakable anyway. Bin it. You got to be ruthless with that stuff. I think you do, but unfortunately, when you when you do, if you do that, the very next day you can guarantee somebody's going to go. Well, have you got a baseboard from a ski boot that was made yeah, fifteen years ago? Yeah, I it's unbreakable. I've managed to break. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. And so the business grew from there. But like, I mean, were they were they kind of exciting times when you were when you they, were building they were it? All? We, we set the business up on a shoestring, really. Yeah. I and yeah, you know, compared to what we spend now, we we couldn't even dream about buying the stuff we buy now back then. 
Yeah. And it was, do we do we need to buy this? How, 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 how few can we buy? Yeah. And it really was like that. Back in those days, it was much, much easier. Uh, I think COVID is basically going to teach us, it's going to teach the whole industry and a lot of industries about uh, supply and demand and who's going to actually take the risk. Yeah. Because right now, it seems that the distributors or the manufacturers want the retailers to take all the risk. Mm -hmm. um, when we started the business, there was you were expected your forward order, your pre-season order was expected to possibly be, yeah, fifty percent of what you wanted. Yeah, and then you could top up with things. Now, you know, we've been told by certain manufacturers that if you haven't ordered it, don't expect to get one. Oh wow. Okay. So they, they want the, the distributor, or not so much the distributors, but the manufacturers are looking to take all their risk away. Yeah. As far as they're concerned, when it comes to ski boot, their risk is making the molds and developing the product. Yeah. Buying the plastic to make it. Our risk is actually to hold that stock and sell it. Do you do you mind me asking, do they want you to pay for all that stuff up front? Or do you have to pay them? You don't, you don't pay up front. Everybody gives you terms, and it will depend on the brand as to what the terms are. Terms are going to be changing. So, in the past, some brands will give some payment plans that will be 90 days or even 180 days of payment terms. So, you, you get your boots in September and you're not paying for them until March. Okay. Now, I absolutely hate that. I uh, we, We've always been a little bit careful, a little bit frugal, but you know, maybe it's the Scottish in me, I don't know. Yeah. I keep it a bit of cash in the bank and we pay everything within 30 days or within, you know, if there's a term available for us where they can give us an extra 1%, 2% discount for paying sooner. Yes. Right now with the interest rate, you're not getting any money from the bank, so you might as well take that. And it's tiny amounts, but that 1% or 2% adds up over the, all the pairs of boots you buy. I can imagine, yeah. And if you can get that, if you can get that discount, that little extra, but it's tiny little bits, but little incremental gains. It's the old Stephen Brill sort of thing. That yeah, yeah, yeah. You basically just a little bit, little bit, little bit. It makes your business more effective and more profitable. So, well, especially, it, but it depends yeah. on the brand. Especially in this current environment, I don't know whether you have noticed this i'm sure you have everyone i speak to seems to have noticed it and and probably the wider listeners will have noticed it but prices are creeping up prices are going up we're going to see from next year we're going to see a massive price increase on anything ski boot certainly and anything that's plastic related because the price of fuel has gone up massively right. in the past 12 months okay and much as we try to forget where plastic comes from it comes from petroleum yeah it comes from oil, yeah. and if the price of oil goes up, the price of plastic goes up. Therefore, the price of ski boot goes up. Yeah. And we're being we are being told by brands ten, possibly fifteen percent on product for next year. Really? And they're telling us that now. Yeah. Which means it's going to happen. <laughs> if, 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 quite often, if they don't want, if they try, they're trying to get around doing it. Or how can we how can we avoid raising prices? They'll they'll sort of. Keep it very quiet until buying season, until till January time, February time. But they're telling us now you can expect a price rise, and some brands are actually saying you can expect it on anything you buy from Christmas. Wow. Okay. So it's happening, unfortunately, folks. Now, right. If we could get around it, we would. So get my get my order in now for anything ski boot related. Yeah. So if you if you want if you want your next year's boots, go or, or order them now, even if you don't have them fitted. Yeah, exactly. Well, go, go buy them and stick them in the cupboard. Yes, I think that's what I'm going to do. Okay, terrific. Well, 
That's interesting. Um, let's start talking boots. We were talking about a, a proliferation of narrow-footed people. Um, it's true to say that different boots suit different type of uh, foot types. Are you able to expand on that a little bit? Okay, so years ago, you probably hear, yeah, oh, head make white boots. Yeah. And oh, lang, oh, you've got to have really narrow feet to have a lang boot. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you get brands would be targeted with, you know, they make boots for wide feet or narrow feet. Mm-hmm. Not the same anymore. Okay. What happens now is every brand will make, and I'll use, I mean, the easiest one to use is probably Atomic because they have a family, the, the, the boots are in the, what they call the Hawks family. So you have the Hawks Ultra, which is their narrow fit, 98 millimeter last. That's narrow? Got, that was, that's, that's 98 in a size 26. Got to remember, these are only relevant to a size 26, 26.5 shell. Okay. As you go up or down, you go up or down two millimeters per size. Okay. So in a size 27, that would be a 100 millimeter shell. In a size 28, it'd be 102. Okay. So it's proportional. But they have the Ultra, which is your 98. You have the Prime, which is the 100, and then you have your Magna, which is a 102. So you've got skinny, medium, medium and bucket. Yeah. And I call it a bucket. It's not fair to call it a bucket because it actually fits some feet. If you get a foot that looks like a house brick, then you need that big high volume boot. Yeah. But the, each brand has the same thing. So Lang have the same. They have the RX low volume, the RX, and the LX. Okay. Yeah, they have an RS and a standard. So a 98 and 100. Uh-huh. And they make something like 102. Yeah. And what that does is that gives you the woods. But then you've got to consider the shapes. So a 98, you could take five 98 millimeter boots yeah. and put them onto your foot in the same size and they will all feel, some will feel narrower than others. Yeah. And that comes down to the shape of the toe box and how the liner is constructed. Okay. So if you've, got, if you've got a square foot and you put it into a tapered boot, it will feel an awful lot narrower than putting it into a square shape or a rounded toe box. Yeah, yeah. So it's trying to find that's, that's why we have so many different models on the wall. Yeah. It's not that we like duplication. It's not that we like to have all the different brands. It's different foot shapes. I understand. So it's so it's not fair to to these days. What you're saying is not fair to kind of cast and say our oh, head fits a wider foot. And uh, oh, absolutely. They, they, they make uh, the head race boot. The new WCR is uh, a 92 millimeter boot. It's one of the narrowest boots on the market. Yeah. But they also make a boot called the Edge, which is a 102. It's a good, chunky 102 boot. Yeah. So it's one of the wider boots on the market. Okay. Every brand goes across the spectrum, but they can't afford not to. Yeah. And then, so so let's let's look at this from an instructor perspective, just regards to the brand. Like when you, when someone comes into you and says, look, because my, my quest, and I've, I've talked to you about this before when I was in the shop, is I'm always looking for... Uh, how would you say? Like I'm looking for whatever the next level is, and I, I, maybe I found it. I don't know, but you don't know what you don't know. This is the other thing. Absolutely. So you know, I found a I seem to have found a nice solution with uh, a head. What is it? A head wrapped to one forty RS with a zip fit liner in it, and um, some sort of custom footbed that old matey in Geneva made for me, and then that is 
that's kind of where I've settled. It seems to suit my feet. It's comfortable for long days on the mountain, but gives you the performance you want. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the question I think the question always remains is what else is out there. Oh yeah, because I don't. I've never wanted. Better. Yeah, because you can't. And, you it's know, not. It's I hard to get over the pump. Yeah, go on. Over the past few years, technology in ski boots hasn't really changed. The only thing that's changed is, in my opinion, is probably the plastics. Mm-hmm. We're now getting a lot more moldable plastic shells. Mm-hmm. So you can always mold polyurethane. PU can be molded, end of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether it's molded with me with a heat gun and the boot stretcher, or whether it's molded with an additive in the plastic so that you get this malleable shell that can go into an oven. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to I'm going to jump back to Atomic there because they have their their it's their memory fit system now. Like most ski boot manufacturers, when you're developing a ski boot, you're trying different things. Uh, Fisher, I think, going back years when they invented the the, the plastic that happened to the the vacuum boots. Yeah. What they were looking for was a blend of plastic that was very very stable. At different temperatures. Okay. So that we're looking for temperature stability from you know, plus 10 to minus 10, from plus 10 to minus 20, whatever range it was in. Yeah. What they got was a fairly temperature stable boot, but something that was incredibly moldable. Right. So it's the additives that you put into the plastic, into the PU, that are there basically to try and create the flexibility or the stability in temperature that create the then the flexibility in terms of moldability in the boot. Mm-hmm. So that's that and lighter weight. Now, light doesn't always mean good. No. I think light is light. There's a point of light is good for going uphill. Yeah. You know, with the same weight there. Yeah. But you then start to sacrifice when you come downhill. Mm-hmm. And you get, if you have a very light shell, and you have to make that light shell, to make that thin wall shell, you have to use a harder plastic. Yeah. When you have a harder plastic, you lose some of the rebound. When you lose rebound, you get this jittery. It's that first thing in the morning, that first run in the morning when you get frozen corduroy. Yeah. And you feel that vibration all the way through your legs. Yes. And you, you try not to put pressure on too much pressure onto the edge because it's like you either have to really dig that edge in and make a turn, yeah, or you want to stand in a straight line because when you have that sort of gliding turn and all you're getting is that vibration shooting up through your legs, giving you almost pins and needles up to your hips. Mm-hmm. It's that type of sensation that you get if you make the plastic too hard, too stiff, to make it thinner and lighter. Okay. So you lo- you lose the elasticity of the boot. I understand. And that's, that's where the boot manufacturers are being really, really careful now. Uh, it's like overs- I was oversized tennis rackets. You know, when they came out, they were you know massive head on them. Yeah. And then they mellowed back to this what's accepted today. Same with t- uh, shaped skis. Yeah. The original carbon skis had this massive hourglass shape to them. Yeah. And then they worked out that just by adding a little bit of rocker and changing the profile slightly and changing the core materials, you mm. didn't need it to be quite so extreme. Yeah. Yeah. So the boot manufacturers all went, they all went out there to try and create the lightest possible thing, mm. and then they've all pulled back a little bit from the lightest possible thing. Yeah, Matt, my one of my colleagues, Matt. So I've been skiing in a you know, one forty Raptor for as long as I can remember now. But the and and 
one of my instructors, uh, Matt, changed recently last year to some sort of head boot, I think it was, but well, maybe it was a, oh, some brand. It was great. That's all I know about it. But it was incredibly, incredibly light. And I was like, you can't be getting any performance out of that boot. It's like it doesn't have any substance to it. Like, how are you able you, to... You can still get performance, but mm. you, sacrif- you sacrifice some of that for, you know, that... Uh, it's basically a term, low modulus plastic. Right. Okay. So that that when they make race boots, they make that out thick plastic. That tends to be a low modulus plastic. It's a plastic that's got elasticity to it. Yeah. It gives it stretch. The flex on a race boot isn't quite. It's it's a, a stiff boot, but it's got this travel to it, and it got rebound, and it comes back to you. That's where you have to engineer it in with the thin wall shells, the super lightweight shells. Having to engineer some of that rebound back into the boot. Okay. Right. But yeah, you can still get performance. You know, you'll never see. I don't think we'll ever see super lightweight fin wall plastics in race. No. But in performance ski boots, you know, there are. You know, Head have got their their Nexo RS, uh, Atomic of the Ultra, the Hawks Ultra One Thirty skis really well. The new Salomon S Max One Thirty. They're all thin wall, lightweight boots when you compare it to a race boot. Mm-hmm. And they all still give a great level of performance. Yeah, yeah. I think, that... I think when you when you notice, I think the, the difference for the vast majority of people, even ski instructors out there, if you are in a boot like the, uh, you know, let's use you've got your head Raptor. Mm. Let's put that compared to the head, the Nexo RS, they're sort of top of the range performance boot without being race boot. Mm. The difference is when you go into a, if you're on an all mountain ski, mm. skiing even at high speed, you will get perfectly good performance. Yeah. Where you notice the differences is if you were to take a Fist GS ski. Yeah. Now, there's not many, unless you're doing a Euro test, why are you even bothering? You're competing, why are you doing this? But ski instructors do like to get on a race ski. They do, yeah. If, if you're on a full-blown race ski, mm. when what you notice, the difference is the torsional rigidity of the boot isn't there. Okay. So you can't get the same feeling to the edge. Yeah. So it's a torsional thing, it's a twist thing. So when you put that ski on the edge, it's a very, very powerful ski. You need a very, very powerful torsionally rigid boot to control it, to get the best from it. I understand. Not to say you can't ski on it. Yeah. But you won't get the best from it. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you. That 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 makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, my habit I saw, is... I saw a picture the other day of a Formula One car with four to four tires on it. I thought, yeah, it's kind of a compromise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's about matching, uh, matching your kit, right? To the, to, Absolutely. The, that's the other matching thing. Matching it to what you're doing is... I don't think there's any need for people to have this quiver of ten pairs of skis. Or three different pair, or four different pairs of ski boots. You know, mm. it depends what you're doing. Yeah. There are a few things out there that will do everything pretty well. Or you say, well, you know what? I want a crossover boot or a touring boot to go up and ski the day that I go ski touring with my my slightly wider, lighter ski with some skins on. Yeah. And I've got my race boot and my race skis for day to day cruising high speed down the piste. Yes. It's it's but, you know yeah. you're you're old enough to remember straight skis, Dave, and mm. I. You know, when, when there was a powder day back in the 90s, what did you do? Go straight. You put your 205 slaloms, your 207 GS keys yeah. on and went skiing. Yeah, yeah. yeah we didn't that's have right. an option. We didn't have an option back no. then. You know, the only thing that I think 
very first thing I remember is that I think it was a vocal fat boy or something like that, with, yeah. which was the sort of realm of the heli ski operators. And everybody else just skied on slalom ski or GS ski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super skinny, toothpick, you know. There's a, there, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. To, to, to anyway, I mean, my, I had some of the best powder days I had last year was on a was on a a Castley RX12, which is just you know sixty underfoot, sixty eight underfoot, you know one seventy six long. Just go straighter, yeah. right? Just go straighter and enjoy that. You ski, ski, in, you ski in the powder, yeah, not on the powder. Yeah, yeah I, I think well, look, I'm going to sound the advent shit. of these shaped wide skis. All it's really done is it's. It's basically opened up the off-peaks and the powder to people that some of them should be there, and there's certainly a few people that shouldn't be there. Yeah, you know, it's it's taken away that sort of skill level that requires. Yeah, uh, yeah, you, know, you have to have that skill level to basically be in that in that environment. Yeah, and that's been taken away a little bit by that type of speech. Well, without us trying to sound like old men shouting at the moon, like you know, everyone does their own their own thing but that's my preference my preference is to take a thinner ski and be good on it rather than float on top but i can totally understand that that there are other people who prefer the other sensation of that sort of surfing sensation of being being up on top of the snow that's okay um but yeah the, the thing that i don't like to do personally is i don't like to change boot so it's not the only the only boots that i change in between is my telemark boot and my uh, my my Raptor. So I only re- I only have two pairs of boots. I don't have a specific lightweight touring set, and it's just because you kind of get used to having the same boot every day, and you put it on, and you know how it fits, and that's that. And I don't I don't want that that change really, and uh, uh, that that sort of uh, how do you feel that 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 change feeling on my feet going through the season. I just want the same pair of shoe each time. Uh, the same pair of boots each time, uh, but that's just me. That's just me. Um, when can I? We we've talked about advances in tech to do with plastics going lighter, ultralight, then coming back to a sort of an, a nice thing. What what other advances in tech have we seen in um, in boots over recent years? I think the only real other thing is liners. The the stock liner. I mean, you you ski in the zip fit liner. I've skied in the zip fit liner since nineteen ninety nine, and yeah. it's it's one of these things. When you've gone to a custom liner, you're probably never going to go back to the stock liner in the boots. Is and that, enjoy it as much? Is that what you do when you have a, a client come in who you know is seeking that perfect fit? You just take the stock liner out of any given boot. Just well, to it, it, it depends. I, normally, the the criteria I look at is how well is the foot being held in the boot and how much skiing they're doing. Yeah. If they're do, if they are a one week a year skier, the chances of them actually needing a zip fit or something similar are pretty slim. So the, the, the option is always there. We talk about it if they want to talk about it if they're in that that market. But when somebody is skiing three or four weeks a year or more, that's when we start that discussion. Yeah. So we look at yeah the usage because a ski boot liner is designed to last approximately 120 skier days. Oh right. Doesn't okay. sound a lot. It's 20 weeks skiing. It's a full season. Yeah. Most people do not ski a full season. No. And I, so it's it's a balancing game of yeah you know, that 20 weeks. So if you're only skiing one week a year, that boot's going to, in theory, going to last 20 years. Yes. Most people change their boots after sort of eight to ten years. But the theory behind it would be, uh, you, if you're skiing 
four or five weeks, mm. then your ski boot's only going to last you three or four years, four or five years. Yeah. To get that 20 weeks on. And the liners do break down and they break down quite dramatically at first. Then they sort of stabilize. Then from about week 10 onwards, they start to go, sort of go on their downward spiral. But if the boot fits well, if you've got closer fitting boot, then that happens less. Yeah. Because you're not, you know, the foot's not rattling. Your foot's not, it's held well by the shell. The liner is just the filling, it's the insulation layer. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the moves of this, of technology increases in liners, they're definitely becoming more moldable. There's some plastic elements which are completely changeable, moldable inside liners now from a few brands. Mm-hmm. Salmon have a new 4D liner and some of their new boots. Uh, head, not head, the uh, head of liquid fit. Mm. Atomic have got uh, Mimic, which is their, their liner with a plastic insert in it that basically grabs around the foot when it's molded. Mm. Uh, so there's there's technologies out there that are getting better. The insulation levels are getting better. You can now get thinner, better insulation, so you can get more of it into the liner, keep the feet warmer, mm. without taking up space. Yeah, uh, it's just, there's, there's a combination of things happening there, or you've got the option of the, the aftermarket liners. But I think that's a. Uh, I usually, as I say, I usually use the the amount of skiing somebody's doing and how well their heel is held in the boot. Yeah. As as a sort of driving factor, do we look at a, a different type of liner? Before we move on to this, um, I've just written down how how are you able to kind of see how something fits because I think that's immensely interesting. But just talk to me about the just quickly. Just talk to me about the tongues that come with liners because. In that kind of uh, Frankenstein uh, liner thing that I'm doing for this year, um, I've just realised it's a CDAS liner. That's what it is. Um, the CDAS liner, the, the tongue is not the same as a zip fit tongue. A zip fit tongue has got a much, much um, thinner profile and a wider profile. It's almost like it's a. thinner and wider to spread the load. Yeah, it's like a hockey kind of skate kind of uh, yes. tongue. And all of the other liners I've ever had have got this kind of really hard, thin thing. That, that And luckily, the CDAS one, I just pulled it out and I put the ZipFit tongue in and maybe this is going to be the solution. But the, it's it's really interesting. I don't know why more tongues aren't like that in liners. Cost. Ah, okay. So the reason the ZipFit tongue can be thinner is because the material inside it is a thin layer of fat, padding material, and then the rest of it is made up of the OM fit, the cork uh, ceramic clay blend goes in there. Yeah. So you've got a very, very good material at spreading load across a wider area. Okay. It doesn't have to be so thick to do that. Yeah. Because it, co- it contours to the leg, contours to the bone shape and the muscle, and the muscle shape. Yeah, it's so good. Whereas the foam in a traditional ski boot liner, you have a plastic layer on the outer side of it. Mm-hmm. And then you have layers of which is essentially furniture foam. Yeah. Stuff that's in your DFS sofa. Okay. And they layer that or use some higher quality stuff and they layer it in layers to basically create the cushion. Yeah. And they also use it to take away volume. Right. So you can have tongues of different thicknesses to remove volume or change the shape and the fit of the ski boot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, the quality of what goes in there, and it has to, at the end of the day, it has to be done on the price. You know, everybody complains the price of ski boots is going up. Yeah. But you, you know, it's a strange thing. You have to employ people to make them. Yeah. Salaries are going up. Yeah. The material costs are going up. So you're, they're always looking for ways to 
you know, different price points on boot. You look at different flexes as you go up the flex range, the price range goes up. Yeah. And generally, other than the plastic stiffness, mm. the major difference is the liner quality. Yeah. So you pay a little bit more, you get a little bit more. Yeah. That, that said, though, I'm looking at this from an instructor perspective. You know, if you're skiing every week, every day of the season, like what price foot comfort, right? You know, Absolutely. You, you, that's, that, you cannot put a price on that because you get, you know, if you're skiing every day and you've even got one minor imperfection in your boot somewhere, that just compounds and compounds till you've got a really serious problem with your foot. Um, so... the first half of this podcast with uh, with Colin um, I certainly enjoyed uh, making it and having um, having this this sort of long conversation with him um, to get really in detail about some of the stuff that he does which I, I just just find it absolutely fascinating and and I'm constantly kind of fiddling with with my own kind of equipment and technique uh, not, not technique well certainly I'm fiddling with my technique but certainly I'm fiddling with my own setup and my latest thing will be to put a two millimeter riser under the toe piece of my binding because I'm trying to stand generally a little bit taller this um, this this winter and what I'm tend to be doing because I've got quite flexy ankles is that I tend to kind of hang and then ski with quite a straight back um, and I want to take the pressure off of my lower back a little bit so so my latest kind of rabbit hole that I'm diving down is to put a small riser under the toe piece of my binding and um, and to see if that makes me into a sort of a stronger body position from a skeletal point of view. So um, so as soon as, uh, as soon as I get my drill back from Max, I'm going to be uh, drilling those risers and then putting them um, under the toe piece. So uh, let's see, see how that goes. Um, okay, so I got a little bit of feedback, which is really nice. Um, Jamie Stevens emailed me or message me, I think, uh, somehow. Um, and Jamie, I think, I think Jamie sent something to us before, but I've had a lot of nice chats with Jamie. He's a really nice guy. Um, he says, hi, Dave, been enjoying your podcast. I've been meaning to send you um, a picture of this book for a while. Not sure if you've heard of it before. Um, we were talking about Ultimate Skiing by Ron LaMaster, which is an amazing book. If you haven't read it, you should. Um, it's like a general encyclopedia for everything skiing it's an absolutely extraordinary book um from ron lamaster who recently passed away which is uh, really unfortunate anyway he goes on to say um jamie goes on to say uh, i thought it sparked some new ideas in my skiing i got it recommended to me by paul lorenz uh, which is cool um anyway he says i'm really enjoying the podcast still uh, especially the last episode with you and a few ski school directors great inside knowledge uh, oh and the episode with John Olsen um, I've always wanted to meet him and ski with him so that was a great episode hope the season's treating you well um, so thank you for that Jamie I really really appreciate it um, thanks for writing to me it's always um, pleasing when people get in touch uh, which is you know great um, yeah it's just lovely to hear from people all around the world who are who are listening and kind of interested in in, in what we've got to say um, okay, so on we go to part two. Um, we talk a little bit more about boots, boot fit, binding setup, that kind of thing in this um, in the second half. Uh, we even touch on how to do up boots, um, which is which is pretty cool, and a, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So um, I really really appreciate all of you that are listening to this. We're like 
I'm just amazed the number of people that download this uh, this podcast now, and, and I thank you all. Um, if you're skiing, uh, teaching, doing whatever, um, I hope that you enjoy it and that you're enjoying these extraordinary conditions that we're having uh, this season. And um, and uh, and I wish you well. Enjoy the second half of the podcast. So for me, you know, getting that perfect fit on my my feet is it's really important. And it's you know that, that's the thing that I think, unfortunately, in most ski instructor training courses, mm. there is no talk about equipment, or yeah. there is very minimal talk about equipment. Mm. And I remember doing a, doing a, a session at the Basie Trainers Conference. A few years ago at Hemel Hempstead, and uh, just talking about boots, and most of the guys were sort of really, really receptive to it. And there was the pushback was, "Well, we don't have time. Our time to talk about this." So yeah. it's I, I think it's such an important thing that ski instructors should know actually how to put a boot on. Mm. And so many ski instructors, and so many people, never whether it's a ski instructor, or an athlete, a coach, or just a recreational skier, I see so many people putting their boots on incorrectly. Oh yeah. Oh no, we should talk about this because I, I, I do teach people how to do this, how to put a boot on properly, but maybe I'm teaching well, them wrong. Well, so I'm going go back to the 80s when I was you know, teaching on a dry ski slope in plastic. You know, we had rear entry ski boots yeah, and some pretty terrible Salomon triple four bindings. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we had, when you had your first lesson, you went to the ski store yeah. with the instructor yeah. this is a ski boot this is how it goes on this yeah. is how you close it Yeah. this is a binding your toe goes in here your heel steps down here yeah. this is how you release it that's part of your the job the curly bit of the ski goes to the front <laughs> yeah yeah but now I, I, I watch groups getting kitted up at some of these uh, the new centres and I, all I see is they people go they, they're sent to the ski hire counter on a size 7 they get handed a pair of boots they get handed a pair of skis and they look at them as if they've just stepped off another planet and go, okay, what do I do with these? <laughs> so what is the best way? Do you go top-down or, or do you go uh, bottom-up? Yeah, I think top-down top is, is, is the way but slightly modified. So I would always do the upper buckles first, but normally the ankle buckle first. Yeah. And then the top buckle, then your power strap. Then give the boot a good flex, two or three flexes, and that's going to draw your heel into the back of the boot. Yeah and give your toes more space. Then you're gonna loosely clip the lower two buttons. But one of the key things, and we talk about this all the time with the boot manufacturers, is that loop on the top of the tongue yeah. is to help you pull the tongue to the side to put your foot in, not yank up on it straight forward. <laughs> I've seen dealers pull a tongue, and these are good skiers, they're ski boot dealers that have been in the business for a lot of years, actually wrench the tongue out of a ski boot liner by trying to pull up on it to get into the boot. Yeah, that's not it. Pull it to the side, mm -hmm. gives you a much bigger hole to put your foot in, and then you push it down on top of the foot. The mm. tongue's connected at the front of the liner, so if you pull up on that tongue, you do two things. Firstly, you pull the toes of the liner back towards your foot and makes the boot feel too short. Mm -hmm. And secondly, it creates a void area in front and above your instep. So where your instep and your leg meet, Yeah. it creates a void area there. It pulls the tongue away from the foot there, and that allows you to slide forward in the boot. Yeah. So you've got this double whammy of making the boot feel short and then being able to jam your toes in the front of it. That's amazing. 
Okay. That's that's I've learned two new things already today, so I'm pretty pleased with that. But the my met well, so I take you back to the days when I was working um, with a guy called Ernest, and he was always he was always a great advocate. He was like, check your kids' boots, check your kids' boots before you start any lesson. Do a boot check. It's the most important thing because you can make massive improvements to people's skiing just well, by having their boots done. Doing the left boot on the left foot is usually a really good start. Well, there is that. You'd be surprised how many and times I've seen you'd that. You'd be surprised how many. I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> Never surprised by people doing dumb things. Yeah, yeah. But I t- so I go. Yeah, I go into the boot. I slide the heel up and down two or three times just to make sure it's put in the in the thing. So I sort of take the liner up and down, and then what do I do? Top two buckles, uh, power strap. And then the bottom two. And then I go skiing. So I do the toe one up, but I leave the one across the top of the forefoot quite loose until I'm I'm warmed up. Yeah, absolutely. Only then I tighten it. Settle back into the liner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so my boots are reasonably loose for the first maybe run or two of the morning. And then and then once the feet have settled down into the boot, then you can really start to tighten them up. And then they don't go dead. You know, your feet don't get that kind of pins and needles uh, if you, if you, that you that you tighten them too long, uh, tighten them too early, I should say. Okay, how how are you able? Right, you're in. This is the the miracle I think of of boot fitters is that that you have the ability to sort of see what we're feeling when we have the the feet in the boots like you can sort of tell how they fit does that come from experience or is there some sort of special tricks that you're you're that, that you, it, things that you comes, can see that we it comes can't? from a lot of time fitting ski boots mm-hmm. this is where i think some of the problem comes is you you can go on the course spend 500 dollars and get a certificate that says master ski boot fitter yeah yeah it's like you know I dare say uh, you, you, you go out there teaching skiing, you've got years of teaching skiing experience, Your first, you, know, you qualified in your first lesson that was probably very different to the lesson you would give today. It was a lot more frantic, that's for sure. Yeah, you, you're constantly on your you. So I've always said it takes 10 years on the bench to make a ski boot fitter, mm-hmm. and that's 10 years of fitting constantly, not just doing a couple of pairs here and there. It's 10 years of 10 seasons of good, oh, good work. Yeah, and we have this argument all the time. The guys in the resorts, oh, you can't be a ski boot fitter and not be in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And I see. I think sometimes you have to be better when you're not in the mountains because when you're in the mountains in the resort, it's really easy for the customer to come straight back and get an adjustment done. Yeah. So you almost have to be more precise. Being in a, in a city shop, we'll call it a city shop rather mm-hmm. than in the UK, or it doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. And. How how like uh, is about how you go about shell selection, and how you go about making adjustments, and what thing what things are happening, comes down to when we get a new model of boot into the store. Mm-hmm. I will try it on. Everybody in the store tries it on, and you try it on in your measured size. Yeah. One size down, one size up. Okay. Okay. So you try on three pairs of boots for the same one. Yeah, and the reason we do that is your measure size. Often, the ski boot manufacturers these days make boots too long. Okay, they're designed for one week a year's use, recreational skier. They want that fluffy comfort. But if you put your foot into that, and you see that you've got this massive amount of space, then let's try a size down and see where things go. Okay, so you can change the performance ratio on the boot quite easily that way without crippling somebody it's not about downsizing I hate, hate the term downsizing we use a right sizing yeah because they're getting somebody the right size for their foot 
Mm-hmm. So you try the small one, you try the, the, the one you measure, you try the bigger one. Mm-hmm. And the reason we try the bigger one is basically to see what the average skier is going through in that boot because most of the people we see have been skiing in boots too big. Okay. Yes, that's the common thing, right? I can then take that shape of boot on my foot. Okay, it feels narrow to me here. It feels wide to me here. And I take that experience and translate it to my customer's foot. So my customer's got the same width for foot as me, and that boot felt a little bit too wide in that area. Mm-hmm. When they're telling me it feels narrow, there's something going on. Yeah. Is it something biomechanical that's going on? Is it a stance issue? Is it just they have this intolerable sensation? They do not like, there's no tolerance to compression or sensation around the foot. Yeah. That's, you start with my foot versus their foot. My foot in that boot, how does that feel? Mm. Their foot in that boot versus my foot. So their foot's lower than mine. They shouldn't have any instep pressure. Their foot's narrower than mine. They shouldn't have any forefoot pressure, mm-hmm. etc. And you work your way around the boot that way. Okay. But it's born from like actually physically putting yourself physically into that boot. physically putting your feet into boots, trying on every boot in the store. Now, I certainly wouldn't want every customers to try on every boot in the store because mm. they confuse themselves and within half an hour, they'll be just wanting to try between four different boots and you can spend hours just trying backwards and forward. Oh, that one feels better there, but not there. Yeah, you end up with that one. You have to, we, we normally narrow it. Normally we put one boot to start with. Yeah. Or we might have a second option. It's rare that we get to a third option. Third option is probably because you've misread something. Yeah. And if you've got more than that, there's something gone wrong. But you're presumably at the stage now where you can say to someone, right, pull your sock off, and you know based on what you can see. what's going to work. Yeah. You know, and everybody's tolerance to compression, we go back to this fit tension, or tolerance to compression, everybody is slightly different. Okay. And, but, but I mean, I think it isn't one of the things that people seek uh Comfort, but ski boots are supposed to be tight. Otherwise, you can't have that precision that you're looking for with the ski, right? Like they're, they're, yeah, absolutely, it's really tight, but not uncomfortable. Correct. It's it's about this firm, equal pressure around the foot. So it's like yeah. a firm handshake, but equally around the foot. The pressure points are where the tools come in, is where the adjustments come in. Yeah. But the biggest problem we see is you put somebody into the correct size boot. You've shell checked them. You've looked at how much space there is. You look at the shape of the foot. You put them in. The first thing that happens. When they go into that boot, is their toes touch the front? Mm. And we always warn people when you go into this, your toes are going to hit the front of it. It's a brand new ski, but don't panic yet. Yeah, okay. Because the inevitable, if you don't say that, that those, those that simple line is what saves boot sales mm-hmm. and saves people end up. Because if you don't say that, they put their foot in, the toes hit the front. It's too small. And these boots are too small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These boots are too small, and it doesn't matter what you do from then on. Mm. Those boots are too small. Yeah. They could be the right size. They could be two sizes too big, but the toes have hit the front. Yeah. That boot's too small. And that's where people people end up with a boot that's too big. It compromises the fit. You get It's a bit like trying to drive the car with the seat too far back and the steering wheel wasn't. Yes. Yes. Okay. So then, presumably, once you've got... Once you've got... Um, you know, that person's foot out and you see it and you kind of got them in the boot and you see some pressure there or here, there and everywhere. What are the common, where are the common pressure points that you see 
that you're going to have to then go to work with the Dremel? Like, what's the what, what are the ones you're so, doing the most? The, the first thing is the, the grinder comes out on race boots and very seldom on anything else. Yeah. Because the wall thickness on most recreational boots now is too thin to get the grinder onto. Is that or true? Or you're going to have some pretty quick air conditioning. Okay, so you stretch then, do you? We, we then use a stretcher. Well, the first thing is get the foot stable. Yeah. If that foot is not stable and in the right position using your foot bed, then the foot's splaying and twisting inside the boot. That gives a false impression. So we can we can try that using an off-the-shelf insole, or we can sometimes go straight away into the custom insole, and then we make the modification to the boot. Can I just ask you about that? Because there presumably there is a whole bunch of people... Um who say that the foot should be able... Is there a difference between stabilising the foot and the foot being able to kind of move around naturally as it would like to do? Okay. I know exactly <laughs> who you've been speaking to or no. reading up on. Well, <laughs> well, you probably haven't, because I'm thinking of the um, the kind of the primal primal health movement who are all about kind of walking around barefoot or... Oh, barefoot, the, the barefoot uh, thing. Yeah. I think barefoot for training... And this barefoot running, you notice that's disappeared. It's kind yes. of really gone. <laughs> it kind of has, uh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, I think, you know, if, you can, if you've got some soft terrain like grass, you know, yeah. and you're a runner, yeah. you go run on it once a week, you know, get, get the muscles in your feet waking up, get yeah. all the, the proprioceptive sensors waking up and moving. Mm-hmm. When we control the foot in a ski boot, we're not looking to block movement. This is, I mean, it's been so, there's been too much confusion about how it's. About how it's sold or how it's talked about yeah it's not about blocking movement what we do basically is we stabilize the rear foot mm-hmm. and we allow the foot to flex okay and depending on the tolerance this is about tolerance again and foot flexibility mm-hmm. if you have something that's a very rigid foot then you some foot types are very rigid some that are very very flexible mm-hmm. a flexible foot can generally tolerate a more rigid insole okay a more rigid foot can't tolerate a rigid insole. It wants to be able to collapse a little. It needs to be able to have some flexibility under it. Mm-hmm. We always want to stabilize, but stabilizing that heel bone, because if you don't, the heel bone spits itself to the lateral side of the boot. The ankle hits the inside edge. The ankle and the navicular hit the inside. The little toe gets smashed into the outside of the boot as the foot tries to pronate and escape from the boot. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to control it, but. It's about it's about using the correct level of flexibility, and that's why we offer in store here. We've got three different brands of insole, mm. not just three different custom insoles, three different brands of custom insole. Mm. And from those those three different brands, I can have something that is really really rigid, mm-hmm. something which is medium rigid. I can have something which is soft as, okay. just depending on what I use and how I layer it and how I I build up the back of it. Yeah. And that's, I think, where a lot of shops go wrong is they have the, you know, they either sell Superfeet or Sidas or Instaprint or Bootdog. They mm. pick one brand as their custom insole, that's all they sell. Okay. And initially, when I started the business, that's kind of what I did. I had one brand. Yeah. Now, I had some different products within that brand that gave me a little bit of flexibility, and I knew how to work those products to give me changes in flexibility. Mm-hmm. But now, having... All the different brands, three different brands of custom insole gives me a lot more flexibility for my clients. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. To be fair, Geneva Man made me mine. He custom made it, um, yeah. which is pretty cool. Um, okay, so 
then so so mainly with retail clients you're you're sort of stretching them but then you might have someone like me who comes along wants a fairly stiff flex boot he's a big guy and you know you have to get the dremel out and make some holes for for in the boot where yeah yeah that kind of weirdness you know like that that presumably is but that you say you only do do really on kind of more race boots and race, your race oh, boots. You, you grade, the reason you grade, you've got the material, race boots were always the same, big, thick plastic walls. Yeah. So the boot you've got, the RS, is not the thickest. It's probably got 5 mil wall thickness around the, the outside of the foot, mm-hmm. 4 or 5 mil. Okay. So you can still grind away a couple of millimetres of that, and that a millimetre is a mile Yeah. when it comes to ski boots. Uh-huh. You, all you want to do is you want to take the pressure off that bone yeah. and let the fleshy area of the side of the foot Share the pressure along it. It's about distribution of pressure. Okay, with you, and and how do you then? Because uh, I remember we were doing all sorts of stuff. I think it was with lipstick, right? But it's like how you know you just sort of marking up my foot and seeing where it where it where it was. So you basically have the foot in the shell on yeah. the insoles, get it positioned where it should be. We often use a, a flat layer under the insole just to pick you up for the bottom of the lightener. So it's because the height the height is critical in some adjustments. Mm-hmm. Then I'll mark. I'll have the shell open. And I'll mark it lipstick transfer, or I'll use a, a wax pencil or even an ink marker on the inside. I'll just draw around the area I want to modify. Yeah. So where do I need to work? It's there, right? Little mark. I know I can either stretch that or grind that depending on the boot. Yeah. They, they both both adjustments achieve the same thing: is create space for that lumpy bit of bone. Yeah. Okay. And uh, like, so, sometimes, sometimes you have on the race boot, you have to grind and stretch. Mm-hmm. If you can't grind far enough on the, on the modern thin wall plastics, you generally stretch because the wall thickness is up. You know, maybe only two or three millimeters in places. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it doesn't take a lot of grinding to go right through that shell, mm. and you haven't created any more space than you thought you had. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now with, I mean, what. If if I, I I ski the same boot because it seems to work for me, but if we were starting again fresh, what what is it that I should be looking for in a in a boot, really? It's that firm hold around your foot. Obviously, flex, we've got to think about the flex of the boot. Yeah. So for what you're doing, the next thing we've got to think about is your biomechanics because if we take you, if you've got a limitation in your ankle joint dorsiflexion, mm. the ability to bend your ankle, yeah, and that's probably the biggest problem that ski boot fitters see these days is people they sit at a desk all day or they're cyclists and they don't stretch, yeah. So the fascia and the muscles in the, the calf tighten up, yeah, and we end up with a very very rigid foot which doesn't want to flex at the ankle. So for that, the first thing I need to find is a boot which is more upright. Okay. Because if you if you can only bend your foot through X degrees, you need a boot where you can get power to the ski or pressure to the tongue of the boot to get power to the ski before you run out of range of motion. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, right. So so on that person, you'd want someone something with a fairly upright cuff. You want a more upright cuff. You want a stiffer boot as well. So if let's say they were your average skier that they needed a they're a good recreational skier, they needed a one ten to a one ten flex boot would be the kind of the ideal for their body weight mm. and you see this limitation in flexion, I would be looking for the upright shell and possibly go to a one twenty flex. Okay. So that they get it's a you know, it's stiffening and lowering the suspension on the car again, you get a quicker reaction. Okay. 
So if they're unable to press against that and let that boot flex forward, yeah. the last thing I want is a boot which is too soft. This years ago was commonplace, was, oh, you, if you, you know, you're not getting forward, you need a softer boot. Mm -hmm. And needing a softer boot, all that happened then was the boot would collapse forward, yeah. the skier's heel would come off the ground, and they couldn't get forward anyway, so all they would do is basically just drop their hips back. So, so why wouldn't you have a boot for someone like that? Why would you not ask them to be in a boot that has slightly more forward flex, uh, forward lean? Not so because much the their ankle. The ankle doesn't allow them to do that. Okay. Yeah. Isn't that a problem to be solved instead mm -hmm. of solving it with the boot? Lost, I just lost you there, Dave. No, it's all right. Um, isn't that a problem that? I'm losing. I'm losing your signal, Dave. <laughs> okay. Hang on. Let me know when it comes back. Can you hear me it's, now? We're back. We're back. We're back in the room. All right. The what isn't isn't that though? Isn't that a problem with them that they need to solve through stretching rather than yes. rather Thank than you. solving it with the boot? Very much so. Okay. Very much a problem that they need to solve. Unfortunately. Yeah. They don't. When you're dealing with the great skiing public, and I love them all a bit, so yeah. most of them anyway, <laughs> there is this want for instant gratification, instant comfort. Yeah. And if you have got a limitation in your biomechanics, then it's not always possible to get that instant comfort instantly. Yeah. We've, got, we've got a testimonial on our website from a guy who spent three weeks working on the foam roller. Yeah. Just stripping the fascia and stretching and basically working on the areas he needed to work on because he listened and took on the advice. And because of that, he basically he wrote the testimonial that said it's taken away pain that he's had in ski boots for over 20 years. Oh, wow. So you, you really can, if you've got that person, the individual with the flexibility, you really can change, I wouldn't say change their life, but it is essentially changing their life Yeah. by getting the flexibility back. You know, none of us are fit to ski unless we ski all the time. Yeah, yeah. And cycling, I mean, cycling's a real classic because cycling builds that repetitive motion. Mm. It's that one, it's a single plane of motion. You're constantly building those muscles yeah. and tightening everything in the structure. Yeah. So not saying cycling's a bad thing. Cycling's a great thing. You want to get out of the bike, get out of the bike. But understand that you're, you're tightening muscle groups Potentially, and mm. some people some people are just flexible. Some people are not. Yeah. But if you're tightening those muscle groups up, you've got to think about making the flexibility, getting the range of motion, so that you're not having the uh, the problems in the ski boot. Because there's several problems that come just from that tightness of ankle joint. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're talking of this. I just uh, the other night I sent a message to the, the the group of football guys that I play with, and like I remember when you used to be able to turn up at football just play and then you go out for a whole bunch of beers and a curry and like not have to stretch or anything like that and now I've arrived at a point in my life where I have to do this sort of terrible old man warm up before I play and then get home and stretch for half an hour and I'm like stretching every night of the week these days and I'm just like what what happened when did this yeah. when did this so become two things, thing? two things in life that we can't control age and gravity oh god it's a nightmare it just makes me feel so old it's terrible. Um, but anyway, okay, fair enough. And so, but then the, presumably you've got people that are the opposite. So people like me who have got like hyperflexible ankles, as I've noticed actually with a lot of ski instructors have the same thing, that 
we have very very flexible ankles but so presumably you want a boot with a reasonable level of forward flex to match that do you so with with, with your with something with a flexible ankle a really flexible ankle, the, the key is to engage the achilles tendon okay and the calf muscles you've got to get them to engage if they're not doing anything there's no pressure going to the ski there's no power there's no rebound uh-huh so we want that you know perhaps slightly more forward lean in the boot yeah so average, you know, maybe a 15 degree rather than a 12 degree. Yeah. And sometimes you lower the heel. So there's also, you hear people putting heel lifts and heel lifts are like paracetamol in the ski boot industry. They shouldn't be used half the time they're used. Yeah. You should only, you know, a heel lift should only really be used when somebody has a limitation in flexion. It's not really a heel lift. It's bringing the ground up to meet the foot in, yeah. in the ski boot mm-hmm. to try and open the ankle joint. Yeah. Now, if you're a flexible person, you know, you might put somebody that's rigid. You might put a six millimeter heel lift in. Yeah. A flex, a really hyper flexible person, they might actually drop the heel in the boot, maybe one or two millimeters. That's the equivalent in opposite terms. Yeah. Because we want to, we want to basically flatten out that and engage that Achilles tendon, engage the, the rear muscles of the leg, and let the ski get some pressure. That's interesting. Because until there's some engagement, you're just going to flop forward and hang. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And that, but you presumably you can do that also with the binding, can't you? No. Ah. It's different. So inside the boot, you're dealing with what we call ramp angle and forward lean. Yeah. When you're dealing with the binding, you're dealing with binding delta. So you're tipping the whole, the internal angle doesn't change of the boot. Yeah. But you're either raising the heel or raising the toe. Yeah. So that will, it will change pressure. It will change the amount of pressure to the ski and how the ski is loading. But the actual internal angle, net forward lean angle, doesn't change when you do it externally. Okay, I'm with you. I've noticed some very, very big differences in skis that I've had over the years from that delta angle that's been created oh, that, that in the binding. Is absolute massive changes. Yeah, it does make it does make a huge difference. You know, I've, I've skied some stuff on, say, I think a look binding that's had you know almost up to like an eight mil difference between toe and heel. And I ski yeah. pretty well on, I think, about a four mil difference, you know, between toe and heel. Yeah, so it's, it's finding that balance. There's, there's an awful lot of people. What you what you always notice is the same people, when you go to ski test, mm. uh, big industry ski test, at the end of the end of March, beginning of March, uh, and you'll find the same people every year like a particular product. Because so they like all the skis that have got that loop binding on them. Yeah, of course. Yeah. No binding. yeah. They all they like that because that setup suits them. Yeah. Then you get others that hate those skis but love all the skis that have got the flat completely flat binding and maybe a, a, a Salomon or uh, Yeah. Whatever binding it is, yeah. And they blame the ski. Yeah, imagine how many bad reviews. The ski is rubbish, it doesn't engage, it doesn't do this. Yeah. It's not the ski, it's the binding. No. Because you know what? There really aren't that many bad skis out there. If you took all the skis that are five hundred pound a pair, yeah, and put them side by side, and they all had a completely flat binding on them, mm. or they had the binding that you liked, so either yeah. a completely flat one or one with a load of ramp in it, whatever one it was, yeah, all those skis would be would ski relatively well to you. Yes, yeah. The reason that people don't like skis is because the setup isn't right for them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I've been thinking that for and a while. And it's knowing that setup, knowing that balance, and you know that I need a flat deck ski, I need something that's got a 
flat binding or one millimeter forward um, ramp angle delta delta rather yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, on there you just that works for me right great go yeah because presumably also you're going to have bunch you're going to have clients that go out to the outs with just their boots and they hire boot uh, hire skis right hire skis absolutely and then they'll go oh these boots aren't you know they weren't doing what I thought they were doing but then you you know you say well what, what ski were you using? you can't that's, you can't control you, that's the thing we can control the environment in the shop yes we can't control the environment when they get out on the ski yeah. They get out on the mountain and the first thing they do is they go out and have a ton of beer the first night <laughs> and they then clamp their boots up too, too tight <laughs> or they walk to the lift with their boots unclipped. Yeah. And by that point, if you, you've unclipped, you, you leave all your clips undone in your ski boot and it's a fitted ski boot and you walk the 100 yards to the lift then your toes are smashed into the front of the boot. Yeah, yeah. They then clip them up from the front so the toes remain smashed into the front of the boot and then they wonder why they can't skate. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? It's a constant battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, when you see people swapping around in ski boots in resort, I'm like, why are you doing that? It's actually easier to walk when they're done up. Yeah. It's, it's very strange. Very yeah, strange. but it's amazing. If you get somebody into a pair of ski boots that's always been in rental or always been in the boot too big and boot up properly and watch them walk, it, they can walk much more normally, much more naturally. Yeah, and so forget this whole grip walk thing that's coming along, which is causing all sorts of chaos. Forget that; it's a question that was never asked, yeah. being solved. Okay. And look at what's happening just with people walking in the ski boot. And if you're in the right boot, we have constantly have customers going, "Well, oh, this is really easy to walk in." Well, yes, they yeah. shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. It's not like your trainers, but yeah. it shouldn't be difficult to walk in. No, not if they're fitted properly. Um, the yeah, well. I said one of the, the, the that, that grip walk might solve one issue. There's a there's a small slope that leads down to the, the, the crossing across to the bakery in Morjan. And trying to walk down that any any time between uh, July no sorry January and um, February before the sun gets to it is sheet ice all the time. I trying to walk I'll tell down you that, that with grip, grip walk does not solve that problem. <laughs> oh, okay, well that's good because yeah, that's you, it was just you, me. You believe me, you can still go on your ass. <laughs> Wearing a boot with a grip walk sole. I thought it was just me with a flat soled like bottom, you know, no, raptor just no, scooting down the slope going. Ah. It might make it marginally easier for you, but it doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> it's easier to walk round the ice, that's a pro tip for everybody. Um uh, tell me a little bit, we talked about recreational adults, we've talked a little bit about pros and what they should be looking for. Talk to me a bit about kids' boots, because I I see often kid rental boots that are terrible and they're just inhibiting the kid's ability to ski I'm thinking specifically of those kind of three buckle boot that's got the 90 degree angle and it's just you know the kid's already got his balance back a little bit because he's a kid like what, what I presumably you don't fit I mean are there many people we, buying we, we, kids don't, boots? we don't sell we sell junior or youth race boots okay. but we don't do kiddie boots if you like you know the and the reason we don't do it is because you'd end up with, you can, there's so little you can do to them because of the quality of the plastics. Yeah. And when you do that, you end up with the, the family will book an hour and a half long appointment to fit little Johnny's boots. And well, it's going to take you 20 minutes. Okay. So you'd be out, you'd be out of business pretty quick if that's what you're focused on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because there's, you know, they're cheap. They're cheap for a reason. They're cheap for a reason that basically they're only going to use once or for one season and they're going to go and skip or get sold on. Yeah. Uh, they're cheap because they don't want the brands don't want to spend 
a shed load of money on them because mold costs are expensive. Yeah. The plastics they use, they're using polypropylene plastic, which is generally a cheaper, uh, lower quality plastic, which doesn't stretch or doesn't, it doesn't look nice, doesn't bend well. Mm-hmm. And the next thing is parents want them to grow into. I've heard this. And yeah, that doesn't it, work. Oh, yeah, oh, he's, 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 if he's still growing, he needs to grow into them. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he needs to grow out of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we won't sell. Or, you know, we obviously we err on the side of we. If, if there was a, if there was somebody with between sizes and it was a growing foot, then I'm going to err on the bigger size, not the smaller size. Yeah. If they're an athlete competing, I still get parents, you know, 15-year-old athletes, oh, my, my daughter's feet are going to grow. No, they're not. They stopped growing when she was 13 years old. Yeah. She's been the same boot size for the last three pairs of boots that we've sold her. Oh, but she'll grow. No, she won't. Is that a thing? My like kids stop, what, what age do feet stop growing? It's a, it's a real difficult, and it varies from person to person, but on average we see the guys is probably 14, 15, the girls 13, 14. Younger than you think. So that's your feet are dying at that age. Physical length won't generally change much. There's exceptions. There's always exceptions to the rule. Yeah. But guys tend to be a little bit older than the girls when their feet stop growing. Yeah. But it is that parents thing that I I know exactly why they're doing it. If you're sending your kid to race academy for the year, you're going to be spending a load of money. Yeah. And the one thing you think, well, I can make the boots last two years because their feet will grow. You get the bigger boot, then you end up with this imbalance thing. And even even the young kids, it's the imbalance. They're thrown into the back seat straight away. Yeah. They just don't have the power. They don't have the muscles in their legs to get them forward. A lot of kids are in over overflex boots as well, aren't they? They're over- overflexed, oversized. Yeah. It's not easy to ski in. And the same thing. If you if you have a, it doesn't matter with the flex of the boot. If the boot's too big, you don't bend it properly because you're not actually in the shaft of the boot properly. Yeah. So if you can't bend it, then what do you do? You just drop your butt back. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. That's really interesting. So so kids are a little bit like those dogs you see when you've got a puppy dog and it's going to grow into a really big dog and they've got massive paws, but the rest of them yeah. haven't. So that's <laughs> going to grow into its paws. Okay. So you can tell how tall a kid is going to be by the, the one that their feet are. Oh, that's it. I've never known that. That's amazing. All right, things you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. How much do you get involved in matching skis to bindings to boots for those real pro athletes and people who really want to? You know, on the on the race side, they tend to try. They want to be on the same brand. Yeah. So there'll be a sponsorship deal, or they want to be. Oh, I want to be on that brand, therefore I want that boot. And in race boots, they're all fairly similar. Mm-hmm. So you can get a fairly good fit on all of them. If, it's, if they fit into one, they'll fit into most. Yeah. But there are differences. You know, if you if you take somebody with a skinny leg, then the cuff of the atomic boot or the Dalbello boot will work better than the cuff that's on the head or the lang, yeah. which has got much more volume. I'm with you. Okay. But in, in general terms, the actual the, the race boot clog, the lower of the boot, is fair. There are differences, but they're fairly similar. And yeah, yeah. presumably workable, right? You... Yeah, and they're so and they're so workable. Yeah, you you can spend a lot of time with the grinder, but uh, but you can make a lot of change. Okay, interesting. All right, um, all right. I've got. I, I'm I'm well aware that you've got to be 
you know you've probably got clients waiting for you at the shop so I'm going to make this my last question but I'm I'm curious to know like back in the I think it was 80s or 90s you used to have those kind of I think I'll get the name right like right right Richie or right yeah and those eventually they seem to be I've looked at the old ones and they seem to be pretty much what the full tilt boot is these exactly. days what, what they are the, presumably that design is still around the freestylers seem to like it what what was so good about that particular design so when rightly developed that book in the 80s it, it's the, it's a book that won more downhill medals than any other book back in that era mm-hmm. and it worked very very well for downhill because it was a really really elastic it was, you think of a bendy drinking straw yeah that's how the tongue worked okay so it bent without, it bent without any deformation of plastic okay it bent like a bendy drinking straw. Mm-hmm. And Reikley basically, Reikley was saved by the Swiss banks several times. Uh, it was bought out, the boot was bought out by Nysel. Mm-hmm. Now, there's, there's various stories behind the, the bank. The banks basically stepped in and did various things, but somebody, the, the owner of the factory, or the owner of the business, died. His wife didn't get left anything in his will because you know, she uh, they just got divorced or something. There was some messy, messy argument. Right. The wife went in and trashed the factory and tried to destroy everything. <laughs> it got the molds got rescued and they eventually the whole thing when Nysel went bankrupt, they basically the molds got bought yeah. by K two. Right. Basically K two sporting goods on full tilt. Okay. So they bought this because back look back at the end of its era in its rightly nice form, the boot was used by all bump skiers again because it had that available range of motion and it. it didn't distort, the plastic didn't distort and it basically just flexed in a really nice way for a bump skier. Yeah. So they bought this and then reincarnated it full tilt as the freestyle boot and they alienated their original market Yeah. because their original market was that really skinny footed skinny legs needed a spiral wrap liner in it wanted it in black with a yellow tongue or black gym all black yeah and then when they started putting a sort of punk graphics all over it and freestyle and making it the the park boot yeah those people went away and said I don't want that it's the same boot but I don't want that yeah so yeah it is a design which is near on 40 years old I think it might even be 40 years old at the moment and it's but presumably, it's still going. I've looked at it a couple of times, and I'm wondering. I'm thinking, I wonder if that is the, you know, I'm interested to try that boot. I've known some very, very good skiers, and not just bumps or freestylers. Very good skiers who love that that style of boot with that sort of. The uh, Cabrio design boots, the three part shell, basically, is a different. The boot flexes in a different way. It fits in a different way. It's got some challenges. It's got some good things in terms of sometimes for fitting people. If you have somebody with an arthritic ankle, for example, that can't get into a traditional ski boot, yeah, like it can help with that. Yeah, or ski instructors just want to get in their boots real quick in the morning. Yeah, things like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, isn't that though the biggest? So, so let's say I'm interested in that in this boot, right, or or others. Isn't that the biggest issue with the ski industry with regards to boots? I can go and try any kind of ski that I want to try, but it, I can't go out and try any kind of boot that I want to try. There are no demo boots kicking around. You know, in the US, there's a couple of places that do that. They sort of, I don't think they rely on 
getting it right. You've got to get it right the first time, and then they possibly allow a demo of the boot. And you know, if you really don't like it, bring it back to us, we'll change it. You know, whether that boot then goes into their demo pool, or whether it's into rental, or whether it gets sold to the next guy for $50 off, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of resort places in the US that do it, but not very many at all. Yeah, it is just, there's too many variables. Well, that's the, that's, yeah, that's the issue with boots, isn't it? Because you take a pair of boots out, like you don't, the amount of work that you're really going to have to do to make a boot really fit very well for you, even before you leave the shop, is quite a lot of work. And yeah, so you've got to get your foot bed, you've got to get the stance set up correct, you've got to, you've got to make the adjustments sometimes. You know, and I always say, people get this whole thing about, oh, you must you modify all the boots you sell. No, we don't. Yeah. We probably, less than 50% of the boots we sell actually go into the workshop. Oh, yeah? For for boot stretchers to go into them. Really? So Sometimes, sometimes all you actually need... Because, you know, feet are all different, but they're all very... They're similar in a lot of dimension. Yeah. And ski boots are basically... We've got that many options on ski boots now that we can, you can find a boot which will fit most people without major work. Yeah. Unless they've got something really bad going on. Yeah. And the, the key for that is getting people in the, the correct size of boot, the correct forward lean, the correct flex, yeah. shape and size, getting the foot properly stabilised or supported in that boot so it's got the relevant insole for their flexibility. Yeah. And for, for the most part, you know, fit, say 50% of the boots, probably that's all you have to do. Yeah. Set up the cuff, check the, you know, check the cuff alignment. That is the, that person can go away skiing and have no problems. Yeah. And then you'll get the guy that has the big bunion that, yep, that has to go to the workshop and get the stretch done on it, or the grinds, race boots, obviously, because they're much narrower fitting than your recreational boots, so they need more work. Mm. And then you, you'll always get that odd anomaly where you look at the foot and you go, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that that can't be going wrong, and it just, whatever you do, it still hurts here, here, or here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the key, really, if we're gonna, if you're gonna, you're thinking, or you like the look of a different boot, or you're thinking of changing boots, you really need to go and see. An expert, you know, it's, it, it's horrible. We say this. Everybody complains when we write it on internet forums and things. You know, people, yeah, people ask the question. Oh, I'm thinking about a new boot. What should that? What should, What do you recommend? Yeah. And they get really, really hissy with you when you say, "Go and see a boot fitter." Yeah. Because they're unfortunately, like every industry, you know, there are good ski instructors and there are bad ski instructors. Mm-hmm. There are good boot fitters and there are bad boot fitters. And if you've had the experience of the bad one, then chances are you you think all boot fitters are the same. Yeah. If you've been to that chain store that couldn't fit you into a pair of boots, mm-hmm. or that resort store that basically forced you into something that was too big in the past, mm-hmm. then your 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 opinion of that entire industry is based on that experience. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, that gives us a nice segue into the end because if you do want to go and see the best boot fitter in the UK, um, I can't say Switzerland because I, I know, obviously, I know the man around the other side of Geneva and he's pretty good, Colin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, look, you, you, guys, you guys in Switzerland have got, got, some, got some reasonable guys and you go to the right places. That's true, that's true. But I, think, I think that's the same the world over. You know, it's, you would think, I always think it's all about, you know, something like France or Austria, you would think. It's a skiing nation. Yeah. They would have hundreds of really good boot fitters. Mm, but that's no. That's not true. No. They have a few really <laughs> yeah. good boot fitters and an awful lot of 
guys to do it because that's their job. Yeah, and if anyone wants to know the name of my secret guy, um, they can, and obviously if they're out in Europe, fine. But if you're in the UK, you need to go and see Colin. That's for sure. Um, I see Keith. We've got, yeah, I've got Keith here. He's been, with, he's been with us coming up three years now. Has 35 years experience fitting ski boots. So I meant to ask you about he's that. Pretty, he's, pretty handy, he's pretty handy with, with, a, with a footbed, you know. I meant to ask you about that because that... You were telling me last time I was with you, it was a long time ago, because I uh, obviously haven't been able to travel back for a while, but the the you were telling me it's impossible to find people. You know, that, that so, want to... staff is really, really difficult. Yeah. There I'm... are lots of boot fitters out there, or people claiming to be boot fitters, you know, and it's, if you've worked one season somewhere doing a little bit of boot fitting, you're not a boot fitter, you know, but yeah. there's not many of them around. And then it's seen, I think it's seen as a, by a lot of people as a transient job. Yeah. You do it for a couple of seasons, then you go and get a proper job. What about, like, apprentices, though? There must be... Are there not any young you keen know, fellas around business, uh, guys and girls around If you business? find somebody that really wants to learn... I've got a guy who came and did a season with us a few years ago. He's now uh, heading up a bookshop in Canada, doing a really, really good job. Okay. And involved with them some pretty out-there development within the ski industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but got, people have got to have the passion for it. They've got to be keen skiers. They've got to be people that want to do the job. Yeah. And generally, the problem has always been the past. And maybe, maybe the uh, I, I hate to bring the B word into it, but maybe Brexit will change this. Mm. Is in the past, these people wanted to be in a ski resort. Yeah. So they go and do their season in the ski resort. Now that's going to be slightly more complex than it has been in the past. Mm-hmm. But maybe they'll, you know, if they want to learn the trade, they'll do it in the UK or in their home country, if you like. Yeah. There are so there are courses that you can do. There, yeah, you, know, you can you can learn. You learn most of it on the job doing it. Yeah. Over a period of time. Do you know, to find you, people that have been doing it for a while that you actually trust to do it, it's hard. What's it like, like as a business owner? Do you get? I get. I'm. I'm in um, CV season at the moment, so I'm getting all sorts of CVs from from um, people who want to come and teach with my ski school. Um, oh, by the way, pro tips: if you're applying to me for a job, one, don't um, don't copy me on a mass email that you've sent to everybody else. Two, personalise your email a little bit, and secondly, um, uh, learn how to spell. Those three things will get you, at, you know, at least halfway through the door. That's, that, that's like that's like sponsorship requests. Oh, my God. We, we we get sponsorship requests from uh, from the mother or the father for their fifteen year old kid. The model, the fifteen year old kid, can't actually send me an email. Yeah. Bye. I know. But the, what I'm, sorry, what I was going to get to is presumably that do you have any enterprising young men and women who kind of write to you asking to learn the trade or? It's rare, and I think some of that is location because you know this there is seen as sort of you're out, you're out in the sticks. You know we're not really out in the sticks. We're less than an hour from London. Yeah. But we're not in London. We're not in the city. Yeah. And there's not many people live around here that. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of skiers living around here, but that want to actually, you, you kind of limit your market slightly by having a smaller population around you. Yeah. Because they have to move here. And the ski industry, is, as we all know, is notoriously poorly paid. And yeah. we try and pay our staff pretty well. You know, we're certainly at the, top, at the high end of what anybody pays in the ski industry. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's, it's really difficult to find those people. You know, we get the odd person... I but normally, as you say, you get the the, the CV, CV season starts and you get this 
this sort of plethora of things that come in. The I think the last one that was before COVID, the last one I had come through to me was it was laughable. Uh, he left his CV attached to the the uh, the letter, and it came in. And what he was looking to do was come and learn to be a ski boot fitter before he went to go and do his ski season in December. All right. Okay. That's so he wanted to start in September, work with us in three months, learning everything, then disappear off for the ski season. Yeah. Well, kind of doesn't really work for me. <laughs> I kind of want you here. Yeah. But it was, it, yeah, it was, yeah, and it was sort of, pick, it was almost like, yeah, I, I really don't know what I want to do, but I don't want to flip burgers this week. You know, it was <laughs> like not, not the right kind of person. Goodness me. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, right. Okay. So, um, look, everyone on uh, who comes on here gets a chance to plug themselves. So, where can people come to find you if they want to get? Where can they find us? Find us at Solutions for Feet, number four in the middle of it. Yeah. Uh, it's solutionsforfeet.com. It's on Facebook, Instagram. It's just at Solutions for Feet. Yeah. Uh, email is fitting at solutionsforfeet.com. Okay. But uh, do book an appointment. We work exclusively by appointment. It gets kind of busy, although it's been sort of COVID affected and we've not been as busy as we, we should be for this time of year. It's certainly starting to pick up. Everybody's trying to be positive and looking forward to what we get on the ski season. All right, perfect. Well, look, thank you for coming and, and sharing some of your um, knowledge with us. I, I, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, I'm glad we were able to get get to you just before um uh, before the madness before the madness starts and you know yeah good excellent well, well thank you dude all right really appreciate it